I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Mission. Too many people are dying in this city. Too many people are sprawled out all over our streets. And now we have a plan to address it. A year ago, San Francisco Mayor London Breed declared a state of emergency in the Tenderloin. The work that we have in place after our assessment will allow us the ability through this emergency declaration to move quickly, to move fast, to change the conditions specifically of the Tenderloin community. The anchor to Breed's emergency initiative was the Tenderloin Center, a site that allowed people struggling with addiction to access housing, treatment, and other resources. The center was controversial from the start. A place supposed to help people with recovery and wraparound services, now at the center of controversy as reports of drug use have surfaced at San Francisco's new Tenderloin Linkage Center within just 10 days of opening. Over the weekend, the Tenderloin Center closed its doors, ending its operations less than a year after it opened. The site had more than 100,000 visits. It provided thousands of meals and showers. It reversed hundreds of overdoses and helped more than a thousand people get into housing or shelter. But the mayor said the center hasn't helped as many as the city had hoped. Today on Fifth Emission, Chronicle reporter Mallory Mensch joins me to talk about what the Tenderloin Center was able to get done in the past year and why the city has shut it down without an immediate alternative available. How does San Francisco plan to address its drug epidemic now? And where will former Tenderloin Center visitors turn to instead? Mallory Mensch, thanks for joining me. You visited the Tenderloin Center shortly after its closure. What does the site look like now? Well, I showed up there at 8 a.m. on Monday, which is the time when the center would normally open for the day. And they haven't really taken anything down yet, but the center was closed, so the entrance was closed. There were ambassadors there from Urban Alchemy, which is a nonprofit. They're usually in the plaza. There were about 15, 20 people who were sitting around or hanging out. Some people had belongings, so it appeared they might be homeless, or, or some people were smoking drugs. There were some staff from other city departments there who had said they would be there to help people once they needed to decide where to go because the center was closed. I did also observe an overdose reversal, um, which is something that would probably happen on the plaza anyways. The person who uh, had the overdose reversed, uh, I didn't talk to them because they ran off, but their friends said that they had never gone in the center. So it's not that that would have happened otherwise, but it just signifies what the city is up against. And some people are concerned that more people will be overdosing on the streets now that the center is closed. You called the center a, quote, imperfect experiment in your story. Explain what you mean by that. I call this an experiment because the city really was trying something new. They set it up super quickly at the directive of Maryland and Breed. It was envisioned as this one-stop shop where it would bring together all these different agencies and nonprofits, all these basic services where people could go in and get off the streets and try to get help with what they need. But what was really unique about it and most contentious is that the city also allowed people to use drugs in this fenced-off area on the outside. So that's what what really made it unique and also new. And uh, the city and the mayor's offices said we learned some lessons from it and we'll see how we want to take and use that in the future. So it'd be helpful to back up a little bit here. You know, the center opened earlier this year in January after Mayor Lennon Breed declared her Tenderloin Emergency Initiative. What were the goals of the center originally? 
She said at the time in a press release that she hoped it would help get people who were homeless, who were on the streets, struggling with addiction or, or mental illness, into housing and treatment. It was part of a larger plan to cut fatal overdoses and open-air drug dealing. And at the time when it opened, it was called the Tenderloin Linkage Center. So it was really advertised as a place where you could get linked to things, linked to care, linked to help. And she didn't say when it opened. This wasn't one of the stated goals that, that people could use drugs there. But as that news came out and the city didn't deny it, it also appeared that one of the goals was that they wanted to provide a place for people to do that that was not on the sidewalks because they were getting so many complaints from people who lived in the Tenderloin that there were others who were using drugs in public areas. So ultimately, the center is now closed. But was it able to achieve some of the city's goals? Definitely a mixed bag. So it saw a lot of use and a lot of frequency. They saw more than 100,000 visits, and that could be repeat visitors. And I definitely know people personally who went back a lot. A lot of those people asked for basic things, food, showers. They wanted to do laundry, and they provided thousands of those. They also did help uh, more than 1,000 people get into housing or shelter. But what was really a challenge and where they saw less success was in getting people into treatment. So whether that be drug treatment or mental health treatment and advocates and and even the city would say that they, they don't have a lot of that, but also that maybe people weren't ready for it or they didn't ask for it. So they did make some referrals and connect people to those services, but it was about less than 1% of visits that resulted in people actually going into treatment or, or getting connected with it in some way, which could be getting a prescription or medication. How did Mayor Lennon Breed explain why the center had to close? You're explaining that it achieved some of its goals, not all, but it was helpful in some form. Well, the mayor and her staff have continued to say it was always intended to be temporary. When they opened it, it was the first for six months, and then they extended it for another six months and then said it would close. And the mayor has said that the site was overwhelmed, that there were too many people who were going there. It was too big of a site. So city officials have said, we, we want to have a smaller one, so I guess we can manage it better. The mayor has also said that although a lot of people did get help, it wasn't as many people as they had hoped for. Maybe people wanted housing and they weren't able to get housing because the city just simply doesn't have it. There were a lot of complaints as well from neighbors around the area. There is a number of businesses there. There's a theater. There's a Whole Foods. It's a, it's a well-known area. And they had complained about the center as well. So I think that some people thought maybe it wasn't the best location for it. It wasn't the only thing that happened there. You're mentioning that people use drugs there. Uh, But this did sort of raise a lot of interesting debate around the usefulness of supervised consumption sites. But this center really wasn't used primarily for that reason, even though that's been a point of contention, right? Yes. And the the city continues to maintain that it wasn't an official supervised consumption site because that is illegal under federal law, although a nonprofit is running uh, sites in New York. And the city has said that they would support a supervised consumption site, but only if, like in New York, a nonprofit ran it with private funding because then the liability would be off the city's back. So so mm-hmm. that's their official stance. But this site, I, I'm not exactly clear on how it really differed from an unofficial supervised consumption site. Some of the other sites I've seen pictures of, they have medical supervision, a sterile environment, they're indoors, whereas this was, the drug use was under these canopies outside in the plaza, so a little less controlled of an environment. But otherwise, it seemed pretty similar. There were staff on site who were trained to reverse overdoses. They did hand out supplies. 
It was definitely a place where people could use drugs with trained staff on hand to respond. More with Mallory Mensch after a short break. We'll hear from some of the center's visitors. What benefits did they say the site provided? And where will they turn to now? We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Now, Mallory, you spoke to some people who have used the site and you spoke to them after the center closed. What were some of the benefits they saw of the center? So I think many people that I spoke with really saw the ability to use drugs as a main benefit. A lot of people also did use the general services. So they got food there, they got water, they did their laundry, they got showers. Some people that I've spoken with did get connected to some kind of services. So I spoke with a man named David Martin in the plaza on Monday morning uh, after the center had closed. He was outside and he was saying, I don't really know where I'm going to go. How much did you go in there when it was open? Almost every day. I'm an opiate user, chronic pain sufferer. Um, I've been taking opiates since I was 18. That makes 40 years. Um, I've been in chronic pain management for 20 years. Lately, my life has been not depressed. It's just, uh, you know, just not putting my finger on what the problem is. I don't want to be in this mess, and I'm going to get myself out. I'm already on Suboxone. He did get connected to and get a prescription for a medication to treat opioid addiction. And on the last day that the center was open on Sunday, I also went out there and talked to some people. I found a couple, Anthony and Leilani Flores, and they had some some mixed feelings about the center and their experience there. But they said it was really useful and helpful as a place where people could use drugs. And they were both concerned that now that activity would simply be outside and people may also face some risks because of that. I mean, it's where a lot of people go to the eye. I think, you know, it's probably going to put that back out in the streets. You know, it's, it's a really good place. It's actually a good thing, you know. Yeah, and then people, they're going to go off by themselves and be hidden somewhere and overdose. Nobody's going to be there to help them. Okay, Mallory, so a loss of some key benefits for the center's visitors. But what were some of the main critiques of the site? Some of the main critics didn't like that people could go there and use drugs. They felt like the city was enabling addiction instead of trying to help people stop using drugs or offering that option for them. And people in the area also felt that it had some negative impacts on the area. The city did study this. They spent $500,000 for a team of experts to look at the center. They looked mainly at two things. One, if uh, it prevented overdoses and saved lives. And it did uh, reverse more than 300 overdoses at the center. So they said, yes, it saved lives. The study also said that based on data from 2018 and 2019, there were the same or less visible signs of homelessness and drug activity in the area in 2022. But people who live and work there disagreed with that. There was often a line of people who were going to get in outside. And the final criticism, which the mayor seems to share as well, is that it didn't link as many people to those long-term services that could really turn around their situation and get them off the streets as they would have hoped. Now, about 400 people a day used to visit the center and access the resources available there. It was starting to be managed by the city's health department in June. So where will these people go now? 
The health department has said that no one will be left behind. They started a transition process where they were publicly uh, letting people know about it a couple weeks ago, and they're directing people to other sites with some similar services in the area, although none offer the supervised drug use that the Tenderloin Center does. So they have a list of around two dozen places. They have staff on site to direct people. They also can call vans to transport people to any of these other locations. And they have said that they're transitioning people who were getting mental health treatment or who were in the process of getting into housing to other sites. But advocates and critics were really concerned. They don't necessarily have the capacity to accommodate these 400 people that were going a day. I did talk to some of the other providers on Monday afternoon, and they hadn't seen an uptick yet, uh, but expect that they will in the coming weeks. Uh, a couple said that they did uh, observe more people on the streets in the Tenderloin. Now, it's also important important to note here that Mallory Breed and District Attorney Brooke Jenkins, who just won her election, they have pushed for more policing and increasing drug prosecutions. Has that happened? It has somewhat. They, they announced a couple months ago uh, in a joint press conference with police and the district attorney and the mayor that they have jointly increased drug enforcement. So that has been more arrests and also more charges filed. And Brooke Jenkins is also pushing for harsher charges against drug dealers of fentanyl in particular. They also do want to address drug possession um, because that's a majority of the people who are, who are just using the drugs on the street. And uh, But Jenkins has said she wouldn't be charging just one case of drug possession. It would have to get to five, and then she would send it to a rehabilitative court. And so far, that hasn't happened yet. So it appears that that was not having an impact yet on people who might be just using drugs on the street. The agency that managed the center, that's the city's health department, has promised to open a smaller, similar center, but the timeline for that is unclear at the moment. And a lot of people, including San Francisco City Supervisor Dean Preston, they're unhappy that an alternative isn't ready for the center's regular visitors. What are folks like him most worried about? The greatest fear is that more people will overdose either on the streets, outside, or alone, and they'll be at a higher risk of dying because of that, because they won't be in a supervised environment. There's also a concern that there will simply be more people on the streets, uh, which is something that both advocates and who are who are sympathetic to the cause of, of people on the streets and advocates are also concerned that people will just will not be able to get the services that they need uh, the tenderloin center functioned as a place where you could go in and there were a lot of things there and it's a complicated city system there's a ton of different departments and nonprofits involved and it would be helpful if you can go in and someone could direct you to, to where you need to go and try to help you get those resources those are the fears now and we'll just have to see whether those fears come true. Well, Mallory, I know you've been following the center since it's opened earlier this year. I appreciate you reporting on the closure for us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mallory Mensch covers San Francisco City Hall for The Chronicle. Find her coverage, including her story about the Tenderloin Center closure at sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app. Thanks to King Kaufman for editing this episode and to you for listening. <laughs> 